0: Good morning, we want to welcome you to East LJ Baptist Church today, we're so glad you're here, uh, good, good looking crowd out there today, as they say, if you don't care what you say, but glad to have you, and uh, on a rainy Lord's Day, we are thankful to be together as the people of God to worship our risen and reigning Savior, amen? Here at East LJ, He has captivated us, Jesus has captivated us, and we have seen in Christ the glory of God, the beauty of God, the heart of our God, and his love and mercy given to us through the life, death, and resurrection of his son. And he has captivated us. We pray you'll see his beauty today, and you'll find yourself captivated by him as well. If you're joining us via live stream, we want to welcome you. We're glad you're joining us, and we pray God would speak to your heart today. I want to give a quick thank you to all of our vacation Bible school workers. Uh to Julie Green, our Vacation Bible School director. Vacation Bible School starts tomorrow evening, and uh, preparations start at 2 o'clock today. And so thank you all in advance for your, your service, your love for the kids of our community. We appreciate you. Amen, church? Amen. Let's give them an uh, advance thank you. They've been hard at work already for the last couple months getting ready, so we just are so thankful. I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we read from God's Word. What will be our text for the morning? Hebrews chapter 2, we'll read uh, parts of verses 1 through 15. We won't read all of those, but we'll read down through there. It'll be on the screen there in front of you. Therefore, and the therefore refers back to chapter 1 where he has shown us that Jesus, the Son of God, is superior to the prophets and the angels. Everything that God has done and said prior to Christ, Jesus is. Is better. And so he says in verse 1 of chapter 2 Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? And then skipping down to verse 9, but we see him. That is Jesus. We see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. And then verses 14 and 15. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. That through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. What a great salvation indeed that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? What a Savior is he. He died in our place for our sins that we might know him, that we might have the power of death defeated and that we might be delivered from the fear of death. That greatest plague of all of human existence, the fear of death. We can be free and we can know the certain, with certainty that we will be with him eternally. That our eternity is secure and safe in Jesus Christ. What a savior is ours. And yet so many that we know, our neighbors, whether that be family members or co-workers or friends... They don't have that same peace, that same joy, that same confidence in Christ. And so we want to pray that we would be faithful witnesses to our neighbors. But also we want to pray for the nations. This morning we want to pray for the Brahmin of India. These are folks who follow Sikh traditions. There's about 109,000 of them in India and there are no known believers among them. And So we want to pray for the gospel to penetrate the Brahmin people there in India. Join me as we pray uh, for our neighbors and the nations as well as uh, a number who are sick or grieving this morning. Father, how we praise you that in these last days you spoke your final and best word by sending your son. Father, I thank you that that we know him, that we know who he is, we understand the gospel. Father, we have the the blessing of resting in his finished work and knowing with certainty that we don't have to fear death anymore because we know for certain that Jesus did pay it all and our salvation is finished. We praise you, Jesus, for who you are. And I pray you would help help us to help others see the beauty of who you are. Pray for our neighbors. Make us faithful witnesses. We pray for the nations and the Brahmin people of India. God, penetrate that people group with the gospel of Jesus. Lord, we praise you for the opportunity to intercede for others. And this morning, we lift up Lana Weeberg, praying for continuing healing. Lord, we pray for Kathy Abernathy. We rejoice that this week the ventilator came out. And we just thank you for answered prayer. We continue to pray for Randy Piper as he finishes some treatments. We uh, pray for Jim Brooks, who's healing from surgery this week. We pray for Lewis Putnam, who's uh, on the mend, and uh, also for Teresa Putnam, who will be beginning some treatments soon. We continue to lift up Mayford MacArthur and Denise Key. Uh, God, we pray for Kathy Rickard and Kristen Crunkleton. We pray for Pam Aldridge and Sheila Miller's aunt Doris. Continue to lift up Craig Hammontree and David Carmichael, Lance Stewart and Helen Pinson, and Jesse Green. And Father, this morning we want to lift up especially uh, and ask for you to be the God of all comfort, as only you can, the family of Peggy Shaw, and, and God, especially the family of Greg Brew this morning uh, in a tragic situation there, Father. We pray that you would bring comfort in a, 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 a real sense of your presence and your reality And your nearness. Lord, thank you for this privilege to gather before you in this place. Thank you that you are here by your Spirit. God, may we realize that um, this is not just another moment on our calendars, but that this is an encounter with the living God, an opportunity to fellowship and worship. The, our only Savior. Time to, to spend in the presence of our good, good Father. And so may Christ be lifted up in this place today. And may we be still before you. Know that you are God. Surrender our lives to you afresh. Worship you with all that we are. And even now as we sing, Father, may we sing and make a joyful noise unto the Lord. For Jesus, you are worthy. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Remain standing as we, as we sing.
1: We're glad you joined us this morning. Let's sing together Victory in Jesus.
0: Father, how we thank you for the way that you love us. As we were talking about in Sunday school this morning, Father, it's it's something we'll never fully comprehend. It'll take all of eternity for us to really grasp just how you love us and what it means that Jesus loved us enough to die for us What those words we just sang really mean Jesus bore the weight of my shame The curse of my shame The weight of his cross wasn't the weight of that wood It was the weight of all the sins of all who ever believe in him Being laid on his shoulders And in that moment him experiencing Fullness of the wrath of God against our sins. Being forsaken by the Father, an unimaginable, unexplainable reality that broke his heart. And Father, how you love us is an unending well from which we can drink and draw. We praise you for your love. It's our only hope. It's our only strength. It's our only good. Thank you. And Father, today may we understand a little better something of that love, more about the goodness of our God, see more clearly who Jesus is. And may the result be that we daily not just once a week here on Sunday mornings, but daily pay much closer attention to Jesus. For Jesus, you're worthy of all the attention and praise and glory and honor we could ever give you. Help us not to neglect the great great salvation that's ours through you oh we need you in this hour to be our teacher we pray that through your word and by your spirit you would transform our lives and god if there's anyone here today who's yet to embrace the love of christ as their own salvation to trust jesus as their only hope and savior then today god we ask that you would work in their hearts and bring them to that place that enemies might become the children of God. What a privilege it is to be called your child and to be able to call you Father. We pray all these things this morning in Jesus' name.
1: Amen. Amen.
0: All right, we'll be we dismissed to children's church, and as they're making their way out, if you'll turn within your Bibles this morning to Hebrews chapter two. Hebrews Hebrews chapter 2, we'll be looking kind of through some of the verses through verses 1 through 15. As they're making their way out and you're turning to Hebrews 2, this has nothing to do with anything except it's just, you know, great news. I'm going to be a grandpa again. And so there you go. We're expecting our second granddaughter on uh, December the 25th. And so, anyway, no plans for Christmas. So, John Piper said this of the book of Hebrews and this, this, um, this whole thing we're going to be looking at this morning. Every church has seasons where there is danger in the church. The book of Hebrews is written to drifting churches. Churches whose hands are starting to flag, whose knees are going down, who ought to be teachers and now must be taught the basics. They're drifting. And the way drifting works is things start to become ho-hum at church. Devotions and Christ in general start to become ho-hum in our lives. Then we become drifters, and our Christian life is not aggressive. It's not vigilant. It's just kind of floating. And when you float, you go downstream and not upstream toward Christ. You become indifferent. And if God doesn't stop you, you become ice cold. And according to the book of Hebrews, then hell. You see, this book is serious business. Don't neglect a great salvation. That's what we read in Hebrews 2 verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Salvation, a salvation that didn't come from angels, but one that came in the very Son of the living God. And here's the point, neglectors of this salvation don't escape. We don't escape the wrath of Almighty Holy God. So we need to just ask our question, our, ourselves this question at the beginning of the, of, the, of the message today. Does floating, does that describe your life with Jesus? Uh, can I just tell you, I've been there. It's kind of floating. I, I, I don't really get up and think a whole lot about anything that way. Just kind of sometimes. I mean, I've been in those seasons of life where I just kind of float. I guess you've probably been there too. To use the word from the text, does drifting capture where you are in your relationship to the one who died and rose again to save you? If you are here last week, you've had a whole week to think about that. And I, I trust by the power of the Holy Spirit, you have been. The Jewish believers to whom this letter is written were in trouble spiritually. They are drifting instead of rowing against the current of sin. That means they're drifting backward toward man-made religion that can only end in destruction because, as we know, we cannot save ourselves by good works. Uh, The people to whom the author of Hebrews writes are neglecting the great salvation they have that comes by grace through faith in Christ alone. Their grip on joyful, zealous hope, it's, it's slipping away. Their hearts are hardening to the truth of the gospel, It's just become mundane, and they're finding other things, even spiritual things, more attractive and fascinating. Their conversation is losing its spiritual urgency. Their ears are getting dull. They're losing their desire to press on, to strain ahead toward maturity. They're becoming weak and sluggish spiritually. And the result of all this is that they are in danger of shrinking back from the beginning they had made, becoming hardened to spiritual things, falling away from the grace of the living God, and, as the author of Hebrews says, losing their souls. They were in grave danger of practically forgetting who Jesus is. And you see, if Jesus isn't our all-consuming focus, our all-consuming desire and pursuit... And we've already forgotten who Jesus is. We began last week a study of the book of Hebrews, and the title for this uh, our time in the book, however long that may end up being, is very simply this, don't forget who Jesus is. What's the message of the book of Hebrews? Don't forget who Jesus is. And this morning, today's message is entitled, same thing it was last week, this is part two, Pay more careful attention to Jesus. The truth I want you to see in the verses we're about to read is very simply this. We must pay more careful attention to Jesus because he is our victorious Savior and reigning King. Don't forget who Jesus is. He is our victorious Savior and our reigning King. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 9, and then verses 14 and 15. Therefore, We must pay much closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression of disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. The author of Hebrews says, listen, if, if the message that came through angels got God's judgment when it was ignored, how much more for those of us who've heard the gospel message, first through Jesus Himself, then through the apostles, and then God bearing witness with signs and wonders and spiritual gifts. Verses 5 and following, everything else we're going to be reading and looking at today, is an extension now of that argument about why we cannot neglect such a great salvation. For it was not, verse 5, to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It's been testified somewhere. What is man, that you are mindful of him, or the son of man, that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything... crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Verse 14, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. These verses teach us the simple truth that we must pay more careful attention to Jesus because He is our victorious Savior and our reigning King. Those are the two things I want you to see this morning. We must pay more careful attention to Jesus because, first of all, Jesus is our reigning King. Verses 5 through 9 talk about that. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we're speaking. And then this is an interesting phrase. It's only, you only kind of find this here in, in, in all the New Testament that I know of. It's been testified somewhere. <laughs> now here, let me tell you something I know about the author of Hebrews. He knew the Old Testament. It wasn't that he couldn't remember the reference of where Psalm 8, 4 through 6 was, where this quote that he's I mean he's fixing to quote scripture and get it right not real sure exactly what's going on here maybe he's just simply referring to God's word doesn't really matter the address of the reference he's just quoting scripture and he says it's been testified somewhere at the end of the day it doesn't matter who the human author was right if it's the word of God he's referring to that and he begins to quote Psalm 8, verses 4 through 6. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little low, for a little while lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, you left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus crowned with glory and honor. Again, we're thinking about the reality that Jesus is our reigning king. Now, in Psalm 8, verses 4 through 6, if we were to go back and look at that text, you've got it right there in these verses. But Psalm 8, verses 4 through 6, is talking about redeemed humanity. God is telling us that even though we are mere creatures created by God ultimately we will rule over all of creation did you realize that that if we come to know Christ we will rule over all creation in fact we were originally humanity was originally created for that right Adam and Eve were put in charge in the garden they were given dominion But Adam sinned, and we lost our capacity to rule over creation. We are clearly not ruling over the world right now, right? Oh, sure, there's a sense sense in which we have dominion. Uh, My wife has gone absolutely crazy. She loves it when I just do this. All of a sudden, out of the clear blue sky, my wife from the pulpit, she just loves that. But she's gone crazy this spring. She's suddenly become a gardener and, and grown a green thumb. It's amazing. The only problem with that is, you know, there's all these attendant things that she needs me to do to help that green thumb grow. But anyway, um, yeah, okay, so she's done most of it. But anyway, she's been out there gardening. You know, we can have dominion. I mean, she can go out there and take a a bare piece of ground, turn it up, condition the soil, get junk out of it, put good stuff in, plant the plants, tend them, and stuff come up. And we're going to have, oh, Lord willing, we're going to have stuff to eat. If it don't come in, we're on vacation. That's kind of the way that goes, isn't it? But we're clearly not ruling over the world now. We live in a fallen, broken world. As it says in verse 8, at present we do not yet see everything in subjection to Him. That is, in subjection to humanity, to man, mankind. Sin, disease, death, rule over us. That's why we always have a long prayer list. People get sick, their bodies are broken, disease comes, relationships are broken by sin, death comes and crushes families. The truth is we don't have what it takes in and of ourselves to rule over creation because of our sin. And so that's what Psalm 8, verses 4 through 6, is all about, that the day will come when we will indeed rule over all creation. What is man that you're mindful of him? God, why would you, how is it that you've created us and, 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 and destined us for this capacity? It's amazing work. But as the author says, we don't see this now. But, in verse 9, he says, but we do see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels? What is that talking about? It's talking about Jesus, so let's start there. We don't see humanity ruling over the world and, 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 and having everything right and, and ruling things on, on God's behalf, but we do see him. Who for a little while was made lower than the angels? What does that mean about Jesus? What is that speaking of? It's speaking of the incarnation, right? He became one of us. came here became a man and then for the first time the son of God's name is mentioned we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels namely Jesus crowned with glory and honor redeemed humanity we're not there yet we're going there one day we'll experience that rule and reign with Christ but today we do see him crowned with glory and honor. He is our reigning king. By the way, we don't see angels seated at the Father's right hand. It wasn't to angels that he subjected all things, the text just said. But we do see Jesus As chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 say it, Seated at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited, is more excellent than theirs. We didn't talk a lot about this last week. We just said Jesus is superior superior to angels, didn't we? So so let me just take just a couple minutes. We're not going to go in great detail here. But why this emphasis on showing Jesus' superiority to angels? I mean, for us, we kind of read through there and we're like, okay, what's the big deal? One commentator says this way, the author's concern to establish the superiority of the Son to angels was prompted by a problem. A lot of times in Scripture, that's what you find. The author talks about something because there's an issue in the church. That's what was going on here. It's prompted by a tendency on the part of these Hebrew Christians to view with favor teachings similar to those held by the Dead Sea sect at that time. And we know from their documents, we know from things that they left behind, what they believed. And this Dead Sea sect believed that God's coming kingdom would be ruled by Michael the archangel. The author of Hebrews made it clear in chapter 1 that the service of angels is no doubt honorable and glorious... And part of God's plan and and for His purposes, but the author of Hebrews' greater concern is that it be clear to all of us that the honor and glory of their service is not to be compared with the honor and glory of the Son's rule and reign over all things. They, angels, are but instruments of His kingship, And their ministry is but an expression of Jesus' sovereignty. So even today, in 2023, there's a a big push about angels, right? Everybody loves a good angel, right? The problem is, if you actually study Scripture... Wouldn't nobody ever want to see an angel because every time somebody sees one in the Bible, what do they say? What does the angel have to say to them? I I don't, don't have my hearing aids in. Say it louder. Do not fear. Fear not. They were scary because they were big and bad. I mean, they were holy, shining, strong creatures of the living God. There's a great fascination with angels today because now we got the fluffy kind. We just make up our own version of angels and we just kind of make them be whatever we want them to be. It's just a real convenient way to create our own spiritual world. So anybody that puts too big of an emphasis on angels, understand they're servants of the Savior. They're servants of the Son who rules over all. As we already said, humanity is certainly not crowned with glory and honor, ruling and reigning over the world as we were created to do, nor do we see angels ruling supreme over all. But again, we do see Jesus crowned with glory and honor. And one day, when Jesus returns to wrap up history and to usher in eternity, we're going to see Jesus' reign made crystal clear as the final enemy death is put under Jesus' feet, and we are raised to live eternally with Him and to reign over the new earth forever with Him. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 23, But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then it is coming those who belong to Christ. This is the, the great passage on the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and he's saying here, Jesus was the firstfruits. Jesus rose from the dead, but here's what that means for me and you. If you trust Jesus today, because Jesus rose from the dead 2,000 years ago, when Christ comes, you and I will rise from the dead. We will be resurrected to everlasting life with him. And then verse 24 tells us what else is going to happen at that moment. Then comes the end, when he, Jesus, delivers the kingdom to God, back to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power He's coming back to raise us from the grave and and, and resurrect us to, to eternal life with the Father. But he's also coming to judge every rule and authority and power in this world. Verse 25, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. You see, Jesus is our reigning king. And because he's our reigning king, because he's the one who is right now ruling over all things and in, who is in the process of putting all his enemies under his feet. The day is coming when he returns that he'll put that final enemy, death, under his feet. Because that's who Jesus is. Listen, we must pay more careful attention to what we've heard. We cannot, we've got to make sure we don't neglect such a great salvation. Here's the deal. If, Jesus, if that's who Jesus is, if he's reigning over all things, and I claim to know him, then it's got to change everything about my life. Your life can't look like the life of everybody around you who doesn't know Jesus. You cannot just be a good citizen, a good American. That is not being a follower of Christ. Are we communicating? Does this make sense? If He reigns and He is my King, then it changes everything. And all of a sudden, I'm doing a whole lot more of this than I am this. That's the cell phone I left on the pew because that's where it belongs during the service unless you got your Bible on it. And if it's not the Bible you're looking at, at, may the fleas of a thousand camels infest your bed tonight. Why is Jesus our reigning king? We've seen it. It's clear, right? He reigns. But why? What makes him qualified to reign as king over all? Why did God exalt him? To his right hand and make him Lord of all and, and, and not an angel or something. Well, he's seen, I mean, by nature, he's the Son of God. But, but the author of Hebrews goes on here to show us the answer to that question. Jesus is our reigning king because, number two this morning, Jesus is our victorious Savior. Jesus is our victorious Savior. And and here's what I'm trying to, to communicate here. Because he is our victorious Savior, that's why he's been made our reigning king. Because he bought salvation for God's people. He is qualified and deserving of the title of reigning king, Lord of all. I'm going to show it to you from the passage and then other scriptures. Jesus is our victorious Savior Verse 9, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor. So that's the fact. He is king. But then he tells us why. Because of the suffering of death. Because he died on the cross. So that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. He was our substitute. He, was our, he died in our place. And because of that, God exalted him. You skip down to verse 14, since therefore <clears throat> the children share in flesh and blood, that is the human race, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So here's what... This passage is all about God crowned Jesus with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, he says. That is, because Jesus became the substitutionary sacrifice for our sins by his death on the cross, and it worked, proven by the fact that on the third day he rose from the dead. Because he did that, the Father exalted him as king of kings. As Lord of Lords. Second Corinthians 5, verse 21 describes what he did on the cross. Paul says, For our sake he made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He became our substitute. Isaiah 53 says that the Lord laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. All of our sin was placed on him. And there on the cross, Jesus endured the wrath of holy God against my sin for me, in my place. 1 Peter 2, verse 24. It says of Jesus, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by His wounds. You have been healed. We deserve the wounds. We deserved everlasting destruction. For our sin against the holy God. And Jesus went and bore that for us on that tree. 1 Peter 3 verse 18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. He's righteous, we're not. But in the place of us, He suffered for our sins that He might bring us to God. Philippians 2 verses 8 through 11 Maybe say it most clearly. In verse 8, describing the incarnation of Christ. God becoming man in the person of Jesus Christ. It says, in being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient. Obedient to the Father to the point of death. Even death on a cross. Therefore... God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Because Jesus was obedient to the will of the Father and became our substitutionary sacrifice on the cross, therefore God highly exalted him. Jesus is our reigning king because Jesus is our victorious Savior. He's our victorious Savior. Hebrews 1 verse 3 says it this way. After making purification for sins, he, Jesus, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. On the throne, by the Father, he sat down. After making purification for sins. How did He do that? He did it through the cross. The salvation of all who will ever believe was accomplished through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ on our behalf. The work is done. And so Jesus sat down. At the Father's right hand. That's the significance of, of Him sitting down. His work was done. As He said, it is finished. As we sing, Jesus paid it all. Verse 9 again from Hebrews chapter 2, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Verse 14, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death, He might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. One day, let me just say this. The the devil has been defeated. Is he completely destroyed and gone? No. In the plan and wisdom of God that we have a hard time understanding most of the time. (laughs) He's allowed to roam and, and and even seek to destroy people, but but he's a defeated foe. And through the power of the resurrection, the power of the Holy Spirit indwelling us as believers, we don't have to fear him, and we can have power and victory over him. Now we should res- understand and 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 be aware of his ways, the power he does have. We should take the spiritual battle we're in always seriously. By the way, we don't. We don't live like we're at war. But the war has been won. He is a defeated foe. The victory is ours. Why? Because Jesus, through his death, defeated the one who holds the power of death. That is the devil. And through his death, he delivered all those who, through fear of death, were subject to lifelong slavery. The Son of God became a man in the person of Jesus so that he could be the true substitute Savior and sacrifice that was required for our salvation. And Jesus is our victorious Savior. He's the champion of our salvation. He won the battle for us over sin and death and the devil. We no longer are slaves to the fear of death like the rest of the world. Doesn't matter where you go in the world, you know what the greatest fear of humanity in the world is? Death. And we do all sorts of things to avoid even thinking about death. But through Jesus, because we have a victorious Savior, our final enemy, death, the thing we dread most, death, has been defeated. We've got freedom. We can have victory over that fear. I say this all the time. I am not afraid to die, and I mean that. By the grace of God, through the gospel of Christ, I am not afraid to die. In fact, I long to be with Jesus. I don't particularly relish that thing called death on the physical realm that it takes to get there. Right? I might have a little concern about how I die, but I'm not afraid to die. Because I've not even started to live like I'm going to live in His presence. And whatever this life is, however long it seems, it's just a blip compared to eternity in His presence. As John Piper says, Satan's ultimate weapon against us is our own sin. If the death of Jesus takes it away, the chief weapon of the devil, the one mortal weapon that he has, is taken out of his hand. He cannot make a case for our death penalty because the judge has acquitted us by the death of his son. If we do not need to fear our last and greatest enemy, death, then we do not need to fear anything. Do you really believe that? I heard like a faint amen. If we do not need to fear our last and greatest enemy, which is death, because of the resurrected Christ, the victorious Savior, Jesus, then we do do not need to fear anything. Do you believe that? Man, okay, well. I hope you believe it more than your amen, and let's just put it that way. Jesus is our victorious Savior, And because he's our victorious Savior, God exalted him to be our reigning king. I told you verses 5 and following were more support, just like chapter 1 was. More reasons that we listen to Hebrews 2, 1 very closely, take it very seriously, and change the way we're living, where he says, therefore. Because Jesus his reigning king, because he's a victorious savior. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. For how shall we escape, verse 3, if we neglect such a great salvation? We must pay more careful attention to Jesus. Floating along. Just showing up at church, even regularly. But not really paying much attention to Jesus on a daily basis through His Word and in and, in and with our lives. It's not going to cut it. Drifting dams. Is that clear? Does that need commentary? Just coasting along, distracted by all of the stuff of the world, our own interests, our own pleasures, loving money while still claiming to love Jesus. It is not harmless. It will cost you your soul eternally. Do you believe this? This is the message of Hebrews. We won't escape. Said another way, we won't escape. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? The point is we won't. We will not escape the wrath of God. If we treat Jesus in the gospel just like something we've heard all our lives and we're just kind of bored with. And if we get all excited about all these new things and the new toys and all this flashy stuff and these experiences and, and whatever. You fill in the blanks. You know what needs to go in your blanks. We won't escape. That's how we choose to live as professing Christians. We must Pay more careful attention to Jesus. Because He is our victorious Savior and reigning King. One of the means God has given us to help us regularly pay close attention to Jesus is the Lord's Supper. Through this tangible act of worship where we physically eat bread and drink wine... Symbolizing our heart's trust in Jesus' death on the cross for our sins. We are helped in this act to slow down. To examine our hearts as Peter exhorts us in 2 Peter. And to see if we're truly in the faith. That is truly trusting Jesus and treasuring him as we live in obedience to him. To see if our relationship with him is real. This is a a God-ordained place and way of checking all that out. And so to this table we come this morning. First Corinthians 11, verses 27 to 30. Paul warns the Corinthians church, Corinthian church, who said in the language of Hebrews, were neglecting their great salvation. They weren't paying close attention to what they'd heard. In fact, they were drifting away. And in so doing, they were making a mockery of this table. They would come and play games and and yet eat the bread and drink the cup. And so he warns them about how they partake of this table. He says, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. Did you hear that last verse? The same God who sent his son to die for us takes this real seriously. And the church at Corinth wasn't taking it real seriously. And you know what he'd done? He'd thrown some of them onto a bed of illness illness. He had just taken some of them out of this world because his, his children were defaming his name, so he just took them home. Sometimes we say, you know, God, God takes people because he doesn't need them here anymore. Well, no. Sometimes he takes them. If they're playing games as professing believers, he takes them because they're, they're dishonoring his name. This ain't no joke. This is nothing small or light. And so we need to examine ourselves as we come. Eating and drinking the bread, drinking the cup and eating the bread in an unworthy manner, as the text says, says we'll be guilty of the body and the blood blood of the Lord. It's, It's like spitting on the cross. We don't want to do that. So what does it mean to partake of this in a worthy manner? It means we come... Let me tell you what it doesn't mean. It does not mean that you become worthy of this, right? Because that would mean you're saved by works and somehow you'd be good enough to deserve something from God. That's not it at all. That's not grace. It's coming and acknowledging our helplessness, our weakness, our need. And it's treasuring Jesus and his broken body and shed blood for what they are, in fact, our only hope, our only hope. Salvation, for treasuring Jesus for who He is, our victorious savior and reigning king. Let's pray. And as I pray, if the deacons would uh, come forward and prepare to help serve the table. Father, may we pay more, much more close attention to the things that we've heard. Even now at this table, Lord, thank you for the gift of the Lord's Supper, the joy of it. Thank you that we can come and once again celebrate your grace and mercy to us in Jesus. God, help us to come in a way that shows the worth of what you've done. In Jesus. With all sincerity. With hearts undivided. Lord. Treasuring only Christ. Above all things. Even right now Father. If there's idols in our heart. If we've exalted things. Stuff, people, whatever. Above Christ. May we tear them down right now. And if we won't, may we not come and dishonor your name. But, oh, Father, may we turn from our sin, may we cast down idols, may we repent and come afresh even to this table, remembering that it is all Jesus. It's all grace. It's only the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that can save us. Lord Jesus, thank you that you willingly laid down your life. And God, help us to understand what that means. You went through awful, horrific, unimaginable, and undescribable suffering. The greatest of which was bearing the wrath of God, being forsaken by the Father, all because of my sin. Thank you, Lord. We stand in awe of such love. Search our hearts and help us to come, Lord, with great joy, childlike faith, hearts that treasure the beauty of Jesus. And may in this meal, Christ be exalted. We thank you, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all go ahead. Take a, take a tray. In 1 Corinthians 11, verses 23 to 26, Paul said, I received, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That night before Jesus died, there at the Passover meal, Jesus said let me tell you what this has all been pointing to when i hang on that cross tomorrow this bread it represents my body it's going to be torn it's going to be broken for you this cup my blood's going to be spilled out for you I'm going to die as the Passover lamb who takes away the sins of the world, the final Passover lamb, the once-for-all sacrifice. By the way, Hebrews is all about the new covenant coming in Christ and how it's better than the old covenant. And Paul says every time we have this meal, every time we, we eat the bread and drink the cup, we are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. He didn't just die and have his body broken and his blood shed. He rose, he lives, and he's coming back. Amen? Amen. So every time we celebrate the Lord's table, we are preaching a message to any who in the room, any joining us by live stream who don't know Christ. We are saying, Jesus and Jesus alone saves. We're saying that by our eating. We're saying that that the broken body and shed blood of Jesus, our souls have to feed on that to have eternal life, to have forgiveness, to have salvation before holy God. The bread and the cup don't magically do anything. They're pictures, they're symbols, it's a representation of what's happened in our hearts and what's still happening in our hearts, that is, we're trusting Jesus and Jesus alone. And if you're here today and you don't know Him, that's what you're watching. And, and that, that, this whole act in and of itself is calling to you. Jesus is calling to you through our celebration of His sacrifice. You need Him. Jesus is calling to you, come to me. Come, eat and drink of the salvation I bring by my death. So I want to invite you this morning to come to the table. We're just going to come up here uh, from the pews. And you can kind of, we've got, got a lot of deacons up here today, so you, they, they can even kind of spread out a little bit more. You can come from all ends of the pews and serve yourself. In these little deals, if you're, Larry, let me, let me borrow one of them right quick. Uh, if you're joining us and you've never seen this little deal, there's two layers on the top, and that's real important, and you'll have grape juice on your Sunday clothes. Get the clear one first. That'll get the bread out. Then get the bottom one, then I'll get to the juice, so be careful on the bottom one. Also, if you're gluten intolerant, then there's a gluten option on the cracker right here. So, um, I invite you to come to the table, worship the Lord as Trey and Juliana lead us in song. And as you come, pay more careful attention to your victorious Savior, your reigning King. For He is worthy. Amen? Amen. Come to the table. Thank you.
2: from getting through, we do, do you wish that you could see it all made new, we do, is all creation wrong? truly love us he does does the spirit move among us he does and does Jesus our Messiah hold forever those he loves he does and does God intend to dwell Try
0: Indeed, he is worthy.